Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we are discussing Rob Zombie's Halloween. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. We are at Halloween 9. Wow, not too many franchises can tout they have nine installments and as we know this is not the final installment but alan i gotta ask are you feeling some halloween fatigue right now yes Yes. uh i've dealt with too many mediocre or bad halloween movies to last a lifetime Uh, that getting to this reboot i was kind of hoping i now i know that you and i have kind of pseudo seen this before yes that's, Um, that's true actually but I was kind of hoping that Rob Zombie would breathe some new life into rebooting the series. Uh, so here we are. But the movies previous to this were kind of a slog. After the first one and kind of the second one, kind of a slog to get through. H2O maybe being the only semi-decent one that we've seen. But even that's not saying much. Yes, agreed. I forgot that we had sort of watched this together it wasn't just you and me i remember i believe we had at least one friend over and i think it was my suggestion it was on prime and i had seen it before i i actually have seen this movie quite a few times and only the unrated director's cut though i've never seen the theatrical version i definitely did not go see it in theaters i would have been in 2007 i would have been 12 years old so no 12-year-old should see this. Yeah, if you could even get in. Right, yeah. If, if your parent let you go see this, that is not good parenting. Uh, no. So I the first time I watched it was on home video with my uncle. And yeah, it was a lot different than the other uh, Halloweens with its content. But yeah, I suggested it to you guys, but... And we did put it on, but I remember we ended up having to just skip through most of it because of the graphic, uh, the gratuitous graphic nudity. It was just unnecessary how much there was, and it was becoming quite uncomfortable for the three or four of us. So that's that's right. So I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember. I only remember pieces. I I remember the beginning mostly because. Uh, at the time, I was rather shocked uh, oh, I'm sure. to see all of the stuff that was in this movie. I have since grown up, but at the time, that's what I remember most is just the beginning with the dad. That's really all I remember, though. I barely remember anything else past that. It's been that long. So basically, you're saying it's my fault that I desensitized you to, <laughs> to this movie. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, there are many other factors that go into that, okay, but good. Uh, for the time, I don't. I'm trying to remember if I had seen any like rated R movies like that before. I don't think so. I've, like I said, I have since matured. Yeah, I would say that my maturity and standards have changed as well with this one because I, I, I I'd seen it before and I was just fairly desensitized to it honestly i was like oh yeah it's it's bad but no big deal but now it's like well that's eh, 
That content is probably not something we should consume too much of. But for this review, I did watch an edited version because, like I said, I have seen this quite a few times before. So I knew what I was missing, which I wasn't missing much. And I was, it, the edited version was fairly well done, actually, because I still saw all of the key scenes. I just missed all of the nudity or language, but I still got everything in this movie. So if you are interested in watching this Rob Zombie version and you don't want to wade through graphic nudity, sex, violence, blood gore, uh, galore, then I uh, highly recommend uh, checking out the VidAngel edited version because you could still get the entire story and just miss all of the really unnecessary, unsavory aspects of this. The year 2007. The horror genre is beginning to stagnate with the fourth entry in the Saw franchise and the third entry in the Resident Evil series, not to mention a handful of other sequels to horror films, none of whom would surpass their first entry. The horror genre did receive some invigoration with the likes of indie hits Paranormal Activity, Wreck, 30 Days of Night, and Trick or Treat. After the failure to connect with fans, the Halloween franchise went on a five-year hiatus. With so many horror sequels in the works, Malik Akkad decided the ninth installment in the Halloween series deserved a reboot, remake, and reimagining to truly modernize it for the 21st century. On June 4, 2006, Rob Zombie was announced as a director and writer for the upcoming entry. He was chosen because of his edgy horror film House of a Thousand Corpses that shocked and terrified audiences, which I have seen and I was shocked and terrified and I don't recommend it. <laughs> the producers were hoping he could give fresh life into the character and world of Michael Myers. A whole new cast was brought in as well, including Dag Farrick, Malcolm McDowell, Sherry Moon Zombie, Scout Taylor Compton, Danielle Harris, and Tyler Maine, including a fresh score from Tyler Bates. Just four days before the August 31st Labor Day weekend release, a bootleg copy started circulating on BitTorrent websites. This caused the producers to worry about the box office impact the reboot would make. But Zombie assured everyone the online version to be much different from what would soon hit theaters. The movie debuted to a $26 million opening, earning the number one spot at the box office, beating out its competitors Superbad, Balls of Fury, The Bourne Ultimatum, and Rush Hour 3. It would go on to gross $58 million domestically and $80 million worldwide, earning over five times its $15 million budget and adjusting for inflation, making it the fourth most profitable Halloween movie, just barely being beaten out by the first two Halloween movies and H2O. Although it was a box office hit, audiences gave it a B-, which is significantly worse than Resurrection's B+, but oddly enough on the same footing with H2O's B-. Only 25% of critics recommended the movie, and to this day, IMDb users have given it a mediocre 6.1 stars out of 10, and depending on how you look at it, making it the 5th best or 5th worst Halloween movie to date. So it was basically a glasses half full, glasses half empty kind of a thing. Exactly, and it is fascinating because, yes, technically it was a box office hit, because... Right, yeah, hit. I mean, for the Halloween franchise, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, air quotes, a box office hit. 
Yeah. Right. And like I said, no other Halloween movie coming before it except getting close to the original. And I guess H2O, when you adjust for inflation, came close to it. So the studio was very pleased with how well this was received financially. And honestly, at this point, it's not really about telling a scary good story. It's more so just about money because Halloween movies are very cheap to produce and they usually reap a fairly significant profit that does, you know, allow the producers and movie makers to just keep making more because it's making them money. I don't think at this point at Halloween 9, this remake, prequel, reimagining, whatever you want to call it, it really doesn't have, uh, I don't think it has a lot of heart and soul poured into it. Now, yes, this does, uh, this is Zombie's vision for this, and it's very similar to all of his other movies. It's very dark and nasty but it just doesn't seem like what he's doing uh going to do new is anything we haven't really seen before it doesn't give us a whole lot of reason to come to it so without further ado we are going to jump into spoilers for rob zombies halloween if you haven't seen it go ahead and click pause go ahead and watch it and come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it a young boy lives with an abusive, trashy family who cares nothing about him. He's resorted to taking his anger out on helpless animals, which he tortures and murders. To make matters worse, he's being bullied at school. Principal Chambers, played by Richard Lynch, finds sadistic photos of dead animals in Michael's locker, which prompts him to call his old friend, Dr. Samuel Loomis, played by Malcolm McDowell, to offer psychiatric assistance to Michael, which Michael's mother, Deborah, played by Sherry Moon Zombie, Rob Zombie's wife, emphatically declines. During the meeting, Michael runs away, grabbing his clown mask along the way. After school, Michael stalks his school bully tormentor, Wesley Rhodes, played by Dale Sabera. Yes, Mr. Spy Kids himself. Um, yes. Uh, it was. I love Spy Kids growing up. I was shocked to see little Junie with such a potty mouth. So he stalks his tormentor to a remote spot in the woods where he brutally beats him to death. Michael has just claimed his first murder. Later that night, his mother has gone off to her stripper job. His sister Judith, played by Hannah Hall, and her boyfriend fornicate in her room. And Michael's stepdad, Ronnie White, played by William Forsyth, drinks himself to sleep. Michael, bummed out his sister won't take him trick-or-treating, decides to murder everyone in the house except for his baby sister, Boo. His mother comes home to the horror and decides to place him in Smith's Grove Sanitarium under the care of Dr. Loomis. As the years go by, Michael becomes increasingly introverted, to the point of not leaving his room without a mask on. He murders a nurse, and after doing so, his mother goes home to commit suicide, leaving Boo an orphan. After nearly 15 years of being under Loomis's care, Loomis is leaving Michael to go lecture about the boy with the devil's eyes. One night, two hillbilly guards take an inmate woman into Michael's room to rape her. During the horrific act, Michael murders the guards along with all staff, including his semi-friend Ismael Cruz, played by Danny Trejo. Michael makes his way to a truck stop where he fights, murders, and steals Big Joe Grizzly's overalls, played by Ken Forey. He then makes his way to Haddonfield where he begins to stalk a young girl named Lori Strode, whose father is selling the old Myers house. 
She has to drop off the key to the house, and Michael just so happens to be there, digging up his old, iconic mask that he wore while murdering his sister all those years ago. He learns Lori will be babysitting that night, but like an animal, he uses the strode sent to stalk Lori. He is also set upon Lori's vulgar friends who plan a night of debauchery. Meanwhile, Loomis is hot on Michael's trail. He drives to Haddonfield, purchases a large gun, and visits the gravestone of Michael's deceased sister. I don't know why, and I don't even know why that was the case in the original. So, he visits the gravestone of Michael's deceased sister Judith, whose gravestone has been stolen, and in his place stands a crucified animal. That night, Lori goes off to babysit Tommy Doyle, when out of the blue, Michael brutally slaughters Lori's parents in their home, hoping to gather information as to Lori's whereabouts. Back at Michael's home, he finds Bob and Linda, played by Christina Klebe, fornicating in his sister's old bedroom. He first murders Bob, played by Nick Minnell, and steals his ghost outfit to dupe Linda into thinking he's her boyfriend back with her beer. Once she takes the beer, he strangles her to death and takes her away. Later, Annie Brackett, played by Daniela Harris, who is not reprising her role since this is a reboot. We last saw her in Halloween 4 and 5 as Laurie's daughter, Jamie Strode. And here she is playing Annie Brackett, like I just said. Uh, she is babysitting Lindsay Wallace, played by Jenny Craig Stewart, but decides to dump her off with Lori, so Annie and her boyfriend can fornicate as well. Michael follows Annie back to her house and interrupts the fornication. He murders Annie's boyfriend and chases her topless around the house. While this is happening, Loomis meets up with Sheriff Brackett, Annie's father, played by Brad Dourif, who is very skeptical of the legitimacy of Loomis's alarmist claims. Brackett calls the Strode residence, but receives no answer. Worried, he decides to take Loomis along with him to investigate. On the drive to the Strode residence, he explains, Many years ago, a mother committed suicide, leaving behind an infant daughter. Brackett knew of his longtime friends Mason, played by Pat Skipper, and Cynthia, played by Dee Wallace, always wanted to adopt a little girl. Hence, Lori was adopted by the Strodes and never told of her dark upbringing. Lori decides she's babysat Lindsay enough, so she takes her back home only to find the bloodied nude Annie lying in the entranceway and her boyfriend Paul, played by a man Van File, hanging from the ceiling with a pumpkin over his head. Michael chases Lori and Lindsay back to Tommy's house, where they call 911 and hide in the upstairs bathroom. The police come to Tommy's house, but are swiftly dispatched by Michael, and at the Wallace residence, Sheriff Brackett finds his daughter in critical condition. Back at Tommy's house, Michael takes Lori, but leaves the children, and renders her unconscious. She awakens in a dark, dank basement, where she finds the body of her best friend Linda lying nude in front of Judith Strode's headstone. Michael comes out of the shadows, kneels in front of Lori, lays down his knife, takes off his mask, and pulls out of his pocket a picture of him and baby Boo. Lori is in fact the adopted baby Boo, Michael's long-lost sister. She doesn't understand, and in a fit of panic, stabs Michael in the shoulder, rendering him temporarily incapacitated, but not for long. She barely escapes the basement with Michael hot on her heels, but she falls into the backyard pool. Loomis appears in the backyard, commanding Michael to stop. When he doesn't comply, Loomis unloads five slugs in his back, seemingly finishing Michael for good. Loomis helps Lori to his car, where she asks him if that was the boogeyman. When all of a sudden, Michael busts his arm through the window and drags Lori back into the Myers house. Lori escapes his clutches to hide in a crawl space, but Loomis's head is squeezed viciously by Michael, 
knocking him out. Michael starts tearing down walls to find Lori, which causes her to flee, grabbing Loomis's gun in the process, and Loomis awakens to grab Michael's leg to slow him down until Loomis falls unconscious once again. Lori crawls into the second floor ceiling when Michael takes a 2x4 and starts bashing in the ceiling, causing Lori to fall into the room. When she raises the gun at Michael, he charges at her, sending them both onto the balcony and into the front yard. Lori awakens atop Michael, points the gun blank, point blank into his face, and proceeds to pull the trigger, wincing every time, knowing eventually the last in the chamber will eviscerate his cranium. When all of a sudden Michael grabs Lori's arm, just as the gun releases the final bullet, causing tons of gore to splash back onto Lori's face as she screams in bloody terror as credits roll. So I'm just going to say this now because this is this is one of the big reasons why uh, I became quite bored with it the first time around. The only original stuff in this movie that I would consider to be original is basically Michael's story. Uh, we get to learn more or less how he became Michael Myers and went on this killing spree on a more personal level than what we ever have before. Other than that, everything is basically the same. So for at least the last, I guess, this is a two-hour-long movie, so at least for the last hour and 20 minutes, it's basically a copy-paste from the original Halloween. Yes, that is true. Rob Zombie wanted to bring in his own storyline and kind of give us a lot of backstory. So in a way this does operate as a prequel and remake and ultimately a reimagining because yes, it is a copy paste, but just kind of in a bit of a different landscape in sort of a way, but nevertheless, that's still the same. And there are a lot of visual callbacks as well to the original, even if it's not in the same character's context, but yeah, uh, this is very much a prequel, and I'm interested to know your thoughts, because where the first movie didn't explain, this movie loves to explain. Yeah, this movie loves to explain things. And like, okay, I'm fine, I guess, with Michael having a backstory, and that we get to experience that backstory with him. That's fine. I, If you do it right, that is. And I don't think that they don't have some kind of good idea, some some good ideas in this opening with more with the family being, except for really the mom and I, I guess the the baby sister uh, being abusive. The father and the daughter are pretty uh, are pretty abusive. They're they're there's a good re and we understand very well why he does what he does later in the movie and goes more or less on a killing spree. That's fine, I suppose, but at the same time, it doesn't, it's not executed the greatest, and so it kind of just comes off as very, very on the nose, like making sure you know this is why Michael is the way he is, instead of taking a little bit more of a subtle approach to it, kind of makes it annoying at when it's all said and done. Yeah, it takes all of the mystery, all of the 
honestly real horror and mystery yeah it's really unpleasant to sit through this extremely vulgar and trashy family dynamics but at some point it just all becomes far too easy for of an explanation where it's like well of course i mean he lives in one of the worst homes ever it seems like and uh just is probably physically abused mentally abused uh, just a horrible horrible situation and it's all explained very easily like oh yeah you see him the first thing you see is him cleaning off uh, a bloody knife because he killed his rat and it's like okay well we already have explanations and motivations right off the front so i'm i don't really like this at all because what didn't need an explanation because it worked so well zombie loves to explain and also i think he loves to um kind of almost play in this world because of how much time we spend in it and how the rest of the characters in this movie it seems there isn't a character that isn't tainted in some way even the very innocent Laurie Strode from the original is fairly sexual with uh, some of her kind of very crude joking with her parents, which I found to be surprising. I don't see the necessity of it, but I guess Zombie thinks 21st century kids are just that way. They're not as prudish, if you want to use that word. But uh, regardless, I gotta say, I don't care for this opening and we also don't get any pumpkin, so he's really trying to differentiate himself. No opening score with a pumpkin. It's just kind of rock and roll music with the Halloween title card. Right. And, like, I think that this opening could potentially work. The problem is we get two different styles here because the beginning is very psychological. It kind of builds it up to be, in some sense, a more of a psychological thriller. Uh, or maybe a psychological horror movie where we're diving into the mechanics of how does Michael work? How, why is he the way he is? And that can work. The problem is, um, we don't, he doesn't, Rob Zombie does not utilize what he sets up in the opening to the same degree in the second part of this movie, which is when Michael goes on his killing spree and we get to know Lori's children and her friends. None of that is really utilized and I, don't, and I think probably the best way it could have been which had it taken a more psychological approach to really differentiate it from a more slasher genre uh i feel like that would have made the movie more effective because this i mean of course he has to do it right and i don't think the way he utilizes this opening is the best way to go about it but i think that had he gone a more psychological horror approach it could have made this movie more effective but he didn't and what we get is very on the nose and at times and more than quite often actually un unneeded right and it's obvious zombie his true intentions what he truly cares about is brutality and graphic violence and kind of releasing that inner darkness and rage to just exploit it uh, all over the screen as often as he can i feel like and uh, the only other zombie film that I've seen besides the sequel to this one is House of a Thousand Corpses, which was extremely disturbing, and it really had, really had no morality to it at all. It was just about being a psycho and loving to uh, exploit innocent people, and I gotta say, this is what this one is about also, and everything has to be not uh, 
doubled, but even tripled or more. Because in the original movie, Michael just murdered his sister. But in this one, he murders the stepfather, the sister, and the boyfriend. So Zombie is clearly making a... Well, and the school bully. So what began as one murder in the first, it's turned into four. And it's just showing that... Uh, that he's stepping everything up. Everything is going to be bigger and badder. I got to say, I think this is the the goriest one we've had yet. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, to be fair, there are worse movies that I've seen than this. But for a Halloween movie, it is very much uh, the most graphic. But at the same time, uh, kind of continuing what you were just saying... Uh, with everything kind of being to the extreme, the entire movie, like almost every single detail is this way. Everything that I'm seeing is, okay, so usually how a scene or an idea kind of works is you build up to it and then there's a climax, right? That's usually how things work, right? It kind of feels like every single scene is the climax. Instead of having the real build up to piece together and present this idea or this horrendous image or something along those lines, it just kind of goes straight for the climax. That doesn't work because you need the buildup for that climax to make it horrifying or to make it effective. The best example would be when he kills his entire family. That could be effective, but they don't build up to it. They try to squish together two different times which is when michael's a kid and then later when he's an adult and actually goes to try and finish the job that he started with with his entire family instead of building up more so and a more psychological approach and a smarter way that's a little bit more subtle it kind of just goes for it and has little build up and then just explodes upon the upon the climax and almost every scene is like this which not just horrifying but for graphics for a graphic sense but also you get overacting you get really pretty terrible dialogue, all sorts of stuff. It makes the movie feel as if it's always on edge when in reality it's nothing sticking. Right, and at a certain point it uh, it really loses its effect when they have to show everything in such great detail. It's just uh, an assault on the senses to such a degree where it really loses all of that punch because it's just completely desensitized you at that point. And I think... I honestly feel like it's fairly disturbing. Are we supposed to be enjoying watching this? Like, are we supposed to have a good time watching this movie? Because that's pretty disturbing if you can sit down and watch these graphic, brutal murders and be like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to watch this again because it's just not pleasant to sit through. Right. And I I would say that the opening, no. The opening is meant to be very horrifying because – at the very least, Rob Zombie does set up the fact that the family is very abusive. Uh, the stepfather is really trashy. The mom is trying to do the best that she can and has the job that she's a stripper. Um, the the daughter is, or the sister, I suppose, is really mean towards her brother. So the pieces are here that we can at least logically understand how Michael gets to the part where he kills his whole family. The problem is there's not enough build-up to it. We don't spend enough time inside of Michael's mind to fully understand where he's coming from. Because obviously there's a history before there's a history before this movie began. And this movie was just beginning, like I said, at the climax of the story, right? And then of course, later on, 
every time somebody has sex, Michael's always there to stop it, at least from what we see. So at the very least, there are moments when thing when good, I guess, good, in air quotes, things happen out of a seemingly bad event. But at the same time, when you f- when I finish the movie, I don't feel as if I need to go back and watch it because I. It, part of it is it just didn't stick. That that's we've mentioned. I've already mentioned this, but at the same time, there's no real credence to what we're seeing. It's just there to be horrifying, which is fine. You can make it. You can make something scary at the same time of being effective, but doesn't be. It's not effective. That's the problem. And it it does almost seem like there is trying to maybe insinuate that fornication does have negative consequences but because it's so exploitative and so often and it does seem to have more fun lingering on naked women and everything associated with that it does come across more as exploitative and seem to associate that don't have uh or just not even don't have sex sex is associated with death like you said because every time sex is involved murder is involved and to me that does seem well rape and fornication is a degradation of you know sexual intercourse but this movie does seem to not really call our attention to that necessarily but more so just to exploit it and just to yeah it's it's pretty gross to dwell on it too much right and like i could go along with that and not have a terribly big problem with it but i think the probably the biggest scene that Really, in reality, when I really thought about it, makes no sense to be here is when we have Linda's scene when she dies and her boyfriend right. die in the Myers house. This scene comes out of nowhere. It has it really does nothing for the story at all because she's barely in the movie at the beginning and then never really shows up after she dies until the end when she is when she's laying in front of the the gravestone upstairs. Had she been written out of the movie completely, nothing would have changed. Which makes me wonder, why is this scene even here in the first place? Because she's not utilized in a way that changes the story. At the very least, her other friend, I forget her name, but the daughter of the police officer, at least she has some kind of a point to it. She impacts the story in some kind of a way. Linda does not. And I feel like she's just a waste of time. Which makes me wonder, which makes at least that scene feel kind of exploitative where that's trying to show as much as much as it can get away with versus making it part of the story. Right. And that is definitely probably, well, I would say that is one of the biggest examples of exploitation in this movie, but also the rape scene was just for the unrated director's cut. That was not in the theatrical version, completely unnecessary. That definitely seems exploitative to me. And then also having Annie run around topless is like, really? And frequently too, a a lot of topless nudity with her as well. So those all seem very uh, exploitative and it seems hard to find an argument against them not being exploitative. But well, and also I, when I was writing the plot summary, I had a hard time remembering which came first, Linda's death or Lori's parents' death. And ultimately, neither of them really made sense in a certain logical sequence because Michael somehow right. just bing-bongs around the city to certain locations for what purpose just to stalk these people because they were vulgar to him. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, this is coming up again. Michael just kind of shows up in random places at random times for really no reason at all. This this once again is an issue that we that's been that comes that comes back from whatever ones if I think almost all of them actually except for like one or right. two maybe. Um, where, where I, I am definitely bored during the first thirty minutes, and especially when we get to the Smith Grove sanitarium scenes, I just don't care. It's trying to be this psychological introspective view into the mind of Michael Myers. I'm just not buying any of it. it. It just really doesn't give me any sort of meat. I think it's fairly pretentious with how it tries to come across. And this movie does completely really switch gears from this hor- horrifying, gory slasher to this contemplative psychological drama. And then we switch gears right. back into this kind of teenage slasher. Uh, Smith Grove scenes are really boring. And I don't, I personally don't care about them. And we don't get the real Halloween story that we know until nearly 50 minutes into the movie. Right. And like, like I said, this whole opening with Michael turning into Michael Myers and the Michael Myers that we know could be interesting had they utilized it in a way that made it interesting. The beginning kind of feels like a waste of time because we don't do anything with it. It's there. And it, in my mind, it is somewhat interesting, but they don't take that and move it forward in any way. It's just, here's what you need to understand. This is why Michael Myers is the way he is. Instead of exploring that idea and maybe teaching a lesson out of that idea, they just, you go straight for what we've already seen before, which is basically everything that happens in the first movie, which then one makes me wonder, okay, well then how much of this movie really is original? Because... The majority of it is essentially a copy and paste. Uh, Also, Malcolm McDowell's performance and his entire character, I felt like his how his character was written into the movie was incredibly underserved because he just doesn't have that much of an impact as a protagonist hunting after Michael. In the other one, he's not given that much screen time except in the Smith's Grove scenes, which, once again, really don't have any impact on their him and Michael's relationship. Uh, So I was disappointed with that. And I also got to say, I think Malcolm McDowell is one of the worst actors in this movie. His line reading is very poor and I just didn't care for his character. Yeah. And that does make me wonder because there's one moment in the movie when, well, this montage that happens when Michael's growing up and we find out that he's becoming more and more darker and won't come out of his room without a mask and all this kind of stuff. For some reason. Malcolm McDowell mentions that, I've worked with you for 15 years, Michael, and still you haven't changed. You've gotten worse, which makes you wonder. And then he decides that this is it. I'm going to have to leave. I have to move on to other things. And it's just like, it took you 15 years to figure this out? It's a waste of time. That aside, I do kind of agree. Um, Malcolm McDowell doesn't give the greatest performance. I mean, to be honest, nobody really does. I think that Laurie Strode is really the only good actress here, and that's only saying it's not the greatest compliment either everyone here gives a very either mediocre or poor performance and yeah malcolm mcdowell at times i believe yeah this he looks and kind of feels like loomis but especially towards the end i begin to lose that i'm just like what it makes me wonder uh what he was directed to do because he doesn't feel like loomis he doesn't feel like he's giving his all 
Yeah, and I think this is the second or third Rob Zombie uh, directed movie because he was a musical artist uh, for quite a while until this. I think he does a fairly good job of kind of setting up uh, the plot for this movie, I guess, or like not just setting it up, but just the entire plot and scouting locations and, you know, shot composition. I think it's all fine, um, uh, especially for somebody who hasn't directed very much. But yeah, I don't think he knows how to direct people except to just tell them to be very over the top about everything they do it has to be you know whoa wow the the wow factor the shock and awe it seems like and as right. for uh the laurie strode actress scout taylor compton she just didn't feel like laurie strode to me i just thought of her as another girl in the halloween verse i mean how much better would it have been I, if she wasn't laurie strode and possibly just another girl it, they kind of could have changed it that way and made it more interesting right and i think that this idea of a basically evil incarnate and good incarnate kind of meshing or i guess not meshing but coming in uh having coming head to head and then having laurie strode a woman in the middle of the two forces like that's interesting you can do a lot with that and even the past prequels uh, i guess the past canon if they're even considered canon four uh three i guess not three but four five and six have kind of taken this idea and moved it past what it was originally. Not very good, but it did that. It pushed the idea of what Halloween movies can be. And this movie just kind of goes back to the original and doesn't really exploit this idea that I just mentioned anywhere past that. It's, like I said, it makes this movie kind of feel unoriginal. The only original parts that I feel are even here are this opening 20 minutes with... Uh, us building the character of Michael, but once again, doesn't go anywhere when, in the grand scheme of things. The only connective tissue that I really found with this opening and then with the later part of the movie is how Michael gets his mask, which I actually really did like that explanation. The boyfriend, when he was a kid, had the mask. Michael put that on instead of his clown mask and you and wore that while he was you know, murdering his sister. And then he comes back as an adult to the house. He had, I guess he ran downstairs and buried it under the floorboards or something. We didn't see him do that and digs it up and puts it on. And now it's like aged and cracked. And uh, I thought that actually worked fairly well. Yeah. And that works. But at the same time, I think that the Michael mask looks a bit on the edge it's all like cracked and it's like it's got stitches in the side of it and stuff. It's intense, yeah. Yeah, it it doesn't really work for me because I, I think the dirtier Michael masks that we've seen, the one from the first one, I think I think six, maybe five, uh, they are much dirtier, but they still have that very plain look, but not too plain. I think those are the scariest ones because they look worn, but not like over the top worn. This one just kind of feels like over the top worn to me. Sure. Uh, I think this might be my second favorite mask after the first one. It's definitely better than most of the others, especially four and maybe H2O. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I will agree with you there. This is probably the third looking, the third best looking mask in the series so far. 
The other original part was the uh, ending of this movie where they go to the house where it ends. Somehow they have a pool in their backyard. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, that trashy neighborhood and house. How do they have a pool? But Lori falls yeah, in. How were they able to afford a house with a pool? That's what I thought. And, <laughs> but I thought that was a fairly exciting climax and fairly original. Instead of just staying at the Doyle house, they take her to, and they have this big confrontation at the Strode house. It does go on far too long. But I, I mean, kudos for trying to come up with something original like that. And I think some of the scenes are pretty good, like when she's in the pool and he's kind of stalking her around that. Uh, the basement is kind of strange. and Yeah, that basement is strange. Yeah. Like, has her, like there's a gate down there. And there's like a bunch of catacomb stuff down there. and there's, You can lock some. Yeah, it's weird. But yeah, I mean, I think that this ending really should have been trimmed down because like you kind of just mentioned, it's a, it goes on for a bit too long. And I think that had they trimmed down and really focused on like the more of the last portions of it, it would have made it a lot better and made it a, a bit more bearable in my mind um, because it doesn't take so long to do things in this climax. But yeah, I do think that they have some pretty original ideas here. Uh, it's not complete copy and paste, but they, they, they this ending here does have some really cool stuff with it that I did end up liking. Uh, the movie kind of ends abruptly. But at the same time, at least it has some kind of effect because you know that, oh, Lori's horrified with what she just did and stuff. Yeah, before we finish up, two other uh, kind of kudos I want to give to Zombie. I think Michael is very well framed in this movie. Kind of a lot of, he's a very tall person in real life, Tyler Main, I believe he's 6'9". So framing him looking upwards is, you know, kind of a given <laughs> But right. uh, the way the mask is lit with the shadows, I was glad to see. We don't see his eyes except for the very first time he puts it on. Didn't really have too much of an issue with that. But yeah, it comes across very menacing with his mask. I think overall the shots are framed fairly well. Um, our, when he murders Lori's parents, that was pretty terrifying because it's like, wow, that seems like that could actually happen. And it was all uh, framed pretty well. I don't know if that much blood would be coming out of people and literally saturate the entire house, but it's just over the top once again. And the other thing that I'm thankful uh, Zombie cleared up with writing the script was Lori's connection to the Myers and the Strodes. Now, that's an invention of the sequel. The original movie never ever gave any connection or hint as to their their connection only the sequel did and uh now it's possible the new movie may even be throwing that out but it was far too convoluted in the second movie and this one is a clear explanation of okay yeah we do see there is a baby in the house growing up whereas we didn't see that in the original and then they just had her adopted they didn't need this weird retro active continuity that was done in halloween too so good job for giving us a clear explanation yeah and i do kind of want to go back to something that i noticed in the scene right before the parents die uh it would be right it'd be the last lines of dialogue that laurie has with her parents there's a song playing in the background that i knew all t that i know all too well it's a different composition of the song but uh you can probably go back and listen to it. But the song is called Dance of Death. Okay. Um, or, as it's more commonly known as, Danse Macabre. Oh. 
uh, which is by, I, th- I want to say a Latin composer, uh, hmm. pronounced Camille Saisons, which, uh, I really, really enjoyed this song, and I noticed it right off the bat, and I was like, no way, I know this song, and I had to make sure and look it up and make sure that was right. It's a different composition, and I thought it was very interesting to, in- to kind of build up to the fact that Michael was going to come to the parents right after the scene uh, and stuff. They There's really no other point in the movie where I found any other song like this to be used is more or less just using the normal the regular score but i did see this and i noticed that right off the bat and i thought it was very interesting i wanted to point that out as well that's interesting i'm not sure if it's the same song the only other song i can remember with this movie is when judith is listening to headphones before michael comes into her room and then we hear it again later on Maybe it's the same song where it's uh oh the times have changed da, 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 da. is is that it or not uh, no, it's different. Okay. Uh, Dance of Death is a classical piece. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this score didn't make an impression on me like the original Carpenter score did. I know the composer, Tyler Bates, has done a lot of movies that we've all seen before. But the, I don't know, I feel like they almost tried to distance themselves uh, from the original score because a lot of those original themes aren't here and I think maybe I just don't even remember the the Halloween theme being in this movie. It's there. Uh, it's definitely there. My problem is it's too similar to the original score because they don't really take it. I mean, okay, it's fine to have the original theme. That doesn't bother me at all. But they are diff- there is more than that in this movie. There's like the suspense building where um, it's kind of like this wondrous piano and kind of builds suspense. Uh, then you have a couple other themes that are more or less used also for suspense building. It, they're all pretty much copied from the original. There's no real original score here except for maybe during some of the scary scenes. Uh, that's when Tyler Bates more that that's when he is more apt to do something more original. But Tyler Bates is a composer. He's fine. He has a few good compositions. I I think he does Fury. I'm not, don't quote me on that. I think so. Um, yeah, and there's one good track in there that I that I enjoy. It's the main theme. Um, but for the most part, he's he's a fine composer, but I didn't find this score to be vastly original. And I've once again found it to be kind of a copy and paste from the first Halloween movie. I think the best Halloween redo uh, theme that we've got so far is from H2O with the opening title sequence where it's more orchestral. I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah, I, we both have expressed how much we like the orchestral music uh, to H2O. And yeah, I would say that's probably, aside from the original, that one's probably the best recreation of that. Uh, this one, not not so much. I think it's very telling in the very end of this movie that Zombie chooses Lori to shoot Michael point blank in the head instead of Luma shooting him and then Michael disappearing like in the very original. And to me, that zombie... Once again, going to the extreme and showing the loss of innocence, nobody will escape untainted, and uh, just kind of this very uh, bleakness to it that really didn't need to be there, where there is really, um, there's almost no lesson learned here at the end, except it's kind of this uh, kill or be killed type of world 
where it's survival of the fittest. Um, and that's just so telling when, um, in the end of the first one, Loomis looks out and sees Michael is gone. And that was very telling because although we can get evil away from us for a time, temptation and evil will always be around. That satanic force will always be prowling about like a roaring lion. And uh, I thought it was a brilliant end, but this movie isn't that at all. It's just this just completely uh, voidless, you know, uh, gosh, it's, it's just really telling what zombie does with that. Right. And I mean, it, one way it could be taken is that she had to take matters into her own hands. But once again, we don't really know because of what's happened before in this movie. And also, if you've watched the other movies, we don't know if Michael's going to come back or not. But usually he ends up, he ends up coming back in some way. Uh, so her no, the, this being zombies reimagining of the series he very well could not come back although i highly doubt that because there is a halloween too um so for what all i know is that she was for all we know it could be that she took it upon herself to get rid of uh of this more or less temptation or this evil that was following her even though it did not leave her unscathed throughout their entire journey the same time though it doesn't leave much effect. Right. Unfortunately. Right, it doesn't. This young girl is essentially forced to blow this psychopath who possibly might be related to her. She doesn't know. She's forced to blow his head off. And to me, that I was like, okay, there's not going to be a sequel because to me, it seems like she shot him in the head. And that's why we have so much gore erupt onto her face. But it's just opting for something much more sinister by showing this young girl who hasn't even had a boyfriend and is a virgin. She has to, she is forced to get into this really gritty scenario and uh, kill Michael in a pretty horrifying, brutal way. And it just leaves you feeling very desolate and empty, honestly. Yeah. And like, I can get behind that and that's totally fine. But like, we've kind of both have mentioned many, many times in this podcast because of what comes before it, it doesn't leave any kind of impact. It's very, uh, loose. It's very simple and it's just kind of there, but it doesn't really mean much in like the grand scheme of things. It just kind of feels like, well, they had in it somehow. Uh, and I guess this kind of fits with what we've always been going for in the past hour and a half or two hours. So, there it is. Right. Once again, it doesn't feel exhortative to call our attention to anything. It really just seems there as exploitative to just kind of revel in lots of graphic violence. And it's like, what if Lori was the one that blew his head off? And, uh, you know, Loomis is just kind of this old incapacitated old man. And Michael just slaughters her parents. And it's... I don't know, can almost be seen as she doesn't know her parents are dead, but she knows her friends are dead. So it can almost be seen as uh, very revenge esque in a way, even though I'm not really sure that's what it is. But nevertheless, I just don't like it. Um, it's just it just goes too far once again. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Rob Zombie's Halloween?
this movie doesn't exactly leave much to really think about. It's it's clear that this movie is going for shock value and stuff like that. And the really only original parts are this opening. And even this opening to me is just so on the nose and annoying that it is it's hard to watch because it is just so poorly done. I think that Rob Zombie could do a lot of good with the series if he had taken it in a more psychological horror-ish approach. I think that that could have invigorated the series into a, diff- a little bit of a different genre while toasting in the horror realm. But he doesn't. Instead, he instead of building up and exploiting and taking advantage of what he's built in the first 30 minutes, he kind of just uses that as the more simple approach of this is set up, this is not the story instead of taking it on and, and utilizing that and exploring it deeper into the second half of the movie, he uses it as more or less the foundation and says, okay, now that you understand where Michael's coming from, let's move on to the real story, which he then copies, for the most part, from the first one. There are a couple of good ideas in here that we've, of, of course, discussed. But when, it, when you really sit down and think about it, there's this movie is just really weak. I think that Rob Zombie could do a lot of. I think he could innovate with the way that he does, with the way that people do shock value in terms of horror. I think that there's that is one of those things where it need, probably could use a reinvigoration of that kind of style. But he doesn't do that here. He, I feel like he just kind of missed a lot of good opportunities and instead went for a more easier route than actually crafting an original story. No, I'm not going to recommend it. I don't even. I don't even think this is a, that great of a film, just in general. There are. I would. It's not that we all scary. There are moments where I think that it does a, a pretty good job at what it's trying to display. But in overall sense, I don't think that it's really worth the time because it leaves you with little to think about. Yes, there's something here, but I don't think it, that Rob Zombie gets it across very well. Three out of ten. It's a not recommend for me. This zombie can't bring the nostalgia back to life. <laughs> Rob Zombie's prequel, remake, and reimagining of a true horror classic does a disservice to it. Crafting a rote explanation removes all mystery from the serial murderer Michael Myers. The first 40 minutes are extremely vulgar and dirty, not to mention uninteresting. The remake part is pointless. We've seen this before. Zombie really does nothing new during the remake section. In fact, he does less. He doesn't build tension, and he doesn't establish semi-likable characters. Malcolm McDowell is probably the worst actor in the movie, and Scout Taylor Compton is a poor Laurie Strode. Danielle Harris is not a welcome return to the series because all she does is act like a disgusting, horny teenager and take her top off. It's weird considering last time we saw her in a Halloween movie, she was a little girl. Zombie's reimagining of the end provides an exciting climax, but ultimately leaves you high and dry. What made the original so compelling was the battle of good and evil, and that evil may be stopped but not defeated completely in this earth, yet we should never stop combating it. Zombie robs the morality of the narrative by giving focus to evil through exploitative dehumanization of violence and sex, and ending with a kill-or-be-killed nihilistic bloody conclusion. Pretty disgusting, honestly. The camera work is all over the place, and the musical callbacks are used in their proper time, but aren't effective like the original. I will say the atmosphere created in the Halloween night Haddonfield sections is well done, but still not up to the standard of the original. I'm giving Halloween 
one star out of 10 with the strongest of not recommends. It's funny because I used to really like this movie and watched it quite a few times, but this is this is a testament to how my tastes in movies have improved and my moral standard has been raised. It's a thoroughly unenjoyable experience, one I couldn't sit through again. So here's to hoping next month's review of Halloween 2 will not be like this. I'll, from what I remember, it's not. Right. I... Yes, this is the one I have. This is the last one. I'm kind of ready to be done. <laughs> um, but the, this is the last one I have. I don't, I basically know nothing about this one. I've hardly even heard yeah. of it. Um, I, there are other ones I've heard bits and pieces of, but this is the one I've somehow stayed completely away from. Um, like, totally. I know nothing about this. I recommend keeping it that way until you watch it. And I recommend the same for you listeners as well. Because it's really nothing like Halloween 2, the original Halloween 2. This is the next one, as far as I remember, Zombie really does his own thing. Completely different than anything we've seen with Halloween. Now, whether that actually works or not within the context of the movie, we'll be discussing that next month. And then the month after that, we will be discussing the brand new Halloween movie, just called Halloween. Okay. Uh, that John Carpenter did come back for the trailer makes it look very promising. I'm really excited for it. I hope that they go for more of a really tight, tense story like the original and not just exploitative, graphic, dehumanizing sex and violence like this movie loved to do. But... Uh, it's kind of interesting because here's just a little bit of, uh, history before we jump into Halloween 2 next month to kind of whet your appetite. So I remember after Halloween wrapped and premiered, Zombie said he was done with the series. He said it was a long, difficult process, one he didn't want to return for, but the producer said, we're making a sequel to your movie. We're going to do whatever we want with the characters and universe you established. And Zombie said, no way are you messing up what I just created. So he was essentially forced back into doing the sequel. Oh, no. Yes. And just a year later, Halloween 10 was announced, or Halloween 2, depending on how you want to look at it. And a year after that, we got Halloween 2. And it, it still even uses the same Roman numerals as the first Halloween 2. But yeah, I, I remember that um, Zombie wanted that to be the end, just as Carpenter wanted the first one to be the end. And they forced Carpenter back, just like they forced Zombie back. But they did give him... Uh, this isn't one of those studio interference types things. Although they did force him back, they still said, do whatever you want. This will be interesting. <laughs> it will be very interesting. I haven't watched this one in a really long time, and... I, this might have been the one I've seen the least. I know I've seen it at least twice all the way through, and that was many years ago. So uh, my thoughts have definitely changed on movies, as you can tell with this review. And we'll see how my thoughts have changed with Halloween 2. But thank you so much, listeners, for joining us on our review of Rob Zombie's Halloween or Halloween 9, whatever you want to call it. We also, I want to direct your attention to our Patreon page. Those links will be in the description below. 
And I think you'll really enjoy it over there because if you enjoy this podcast, well, you'll get all kinds of great bonus content. You'll get bonus podcasts, our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, uh, maybe even some other exclusive written reviews, movie commentaries, Q&A. You'll even be able to watch a movie with us and discuss that with us. So tons of great content and all for the price of just a, you know, a cup of Starbucks coffee maybe a Taco Bell meal box. So skip one of those meals and drinks <laughs> and come on over and get some great content because it's not gone after you consumed it. That's yours to keep to download and re-listen to or whatever you want to do with it. It's yours because you paid for it. And those uh, that really helps us. That doesn't just go and lie in our pockets. That helps us pay for hosting this podcast. It helps us pay for uh, the website. And uh, it just helps us expand more with better equipment and making sure we're staying up to date and providing you with the best quality that uh, that is around. So go ahead and head on over there, share it with your friends, make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast, give us a five-star rating, whether you're on iTunes or any other podcast aggregator that lets you review podcasts, give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed it. We love to hear your comments, we love to hear your feedback, it also helps us get recognized so other people can also find us and enjoy listening as well, and make sure to comment your thoughts below on Rob Zombie's Halloween because we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. Don't forget to go over to your favorite social media platforms and subscribe to us there as well. Just type in Silver Screen Guide. It's really straightforward. And uh, we're going to be starting the Three Mothers trilogy next week. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited as well. Alan is... He's the... Uh, He's not the newbie. I'm the newbie on this one. Alan is the one that knows what's going on with it. Well, knows what's going on. I've actually only... I've seen Suspiria twice. I haven't... I've, I've seen Inferno once, and I haven't seen Mother of Tears. So I at least know Suspiria pretty well. Not... I kind of, And I kind of know Inferno. Uh, not the one with Tom Hanks. <laughs> I know, but I'm. That's next week. I'm quite excited to get to that. I really am curious to see what you think about him. I'm very curious as well, especially. I haven't seen any footage from any of those three movies. I've seen a still or two from them. They're like on the back of the box of the Blu-ray disc. So that's all I've seen, and I don't. I just don't know a thing about it except dancing. That's all I know. They're they're dance movies similar to uh, Step Up. Is that right? Uh, not exactly. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll just let you experience what happens. Um, not exactly like Step Up. That's a little different. <laughs> and it's interesting because the day we were recording this episode, we had the real first official trailer for the remake of Suspiria dropped by Amazon Studios. We've had a teaser trailer before that was essentially nonsensical, at least to me, not knowing anything about that universe. And the new trailer gives you a bit more body to the story, but it still looks completely insane. But it does look amazing and very well shot. So I'm excited to kind of get into these. Uh, is Suspiria and Inferno, is that all in Italian? Yeah, well, okay. They're by Dario Argento, who is an Italian filmmaker, but they are all in English. Okay. Yeah. So, 
sort of a foreign film. Yeah, it's a foreign film, just with it was just with English an English dub. Okay. Yeah. I'm very excited to get into that as well, and I think that'll be a nice transition, getting us in a spooky mood for uh, Halloween for October, which is coming up, and I don't know if we've revealed our Halloween surprise yet. Halloween Surprise Podcast, I think we'll keep that under wraps for just a little while longer. We've still got a little bit to go until we get to our Halloween special this year. But you'll want to make sure to catch up because, well, Halloween, the movie, was our very first Halloween special. And then the year after that was Psycho. This year is going to be, well, you'll just have to wait and find out for that. But once again, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this retrospective series. And we will be coming back with the last film until this new one comes out. And I also should mention we're going to be doing the Damien Chazelle retrospective series, who has done the brilliant Whiplash and La La Land. He's coming out with a new Ryan Gosling movie this year. So I did want to just say that real quick to whet your appetite before we sign off. Very much looking forward to that as well. Once again, listeners, thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.